If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, please turn with me to the book of Jonah. We are in the middle of a series that I have entitled Jonah, A Man on a Mission. And uh, in the midst of these four chapters, today we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 3. So uh, if you find Jonah, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. Not re-preaching my last two sermons, I do want to read Jonah chapter 1, 2, and 3 so that you and I can get a picture of exactly what's happened and what is going on in Jonah's life. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, down through Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the verses will be on the screen, but listen to what happened to God's man. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why, uh, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake your hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage that is before us today. Thank you for this story. Not that It's just about a fish and about Jonah. It is about you. Father, you are the great character in this story. You're the great character in the Bible. You're the great character in all of creation. For you are over all of creation. Father, as we look at this, would you speak to your people? Father, would you speak to us individually because we need to hear from you individually Father, would you speak to this church, your church, corporately, because we need to hear from you corporately. But Father, would you draw us 
to the point in our lives that we would come face to face with you at this moment for this time. And God, we would come back to you just as Jonah did. We would come back to you just as those in Nineveh did. Would you show us that this morning? Show us your mission. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Jonah chapter 3 is more about the mission of Almighty God and, and what He is doing and what He is about than what Jonah's been about or what Jonah is about in chapter 3. It is the mission of God unveiled. It's the mission of God told to you and told to me through the life of Jonah, through the lives of those at Nineveh. And I want us to see that this morning. Three points about God's mission from Jonah chapter 3. The first is this, God's mission for you. For you. you. You put your name there, I'm not talking to anybody else, I'm talking to you. His mission for you begins with repentance. Jonah is getting to hear verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and he is living out verses 1 through 10 of Jonah chapter 3 because of what happened in Jonah chapter 2. That's the only reason that Jonah is more than two chapters. Because of what took place in Jonah chapter 2, we continue the story of Jonah in our Bibles, in God's Word, and that is the mission of God. It is repentance from you and repentance from me. There really has to come a time in your life and in my life, a time of confession. What is confession? Confession is simply this. It's not that you go and you sit and you talk to another person. Whether you see that person or not see that person, that's okay. But confession is this, that you say the same thing that God says about that action, about that word, about that attitude. God doesn't call it a little mishap. God doesn't call it a little mistake. God doesn't call it, hey, that's how I created Brian. He can have that attitude. He can have that temper. He can say those words that way. No, God calls that sin. And that action that I commit, those words that I say, those attitudes that I have, those thoughts that are running through my head, is sin. And if I'm going to confess them, I need to confess them to God and I need to say the same thing that he says about them. Brian, that attitude is pride, that attitude is arrogance, that attitude is sin. You say the same thing about it. But after you and I confess it, there also has to be this time of repentance. And that's what's happened in chapter 2 of Jonah. Jonah has confessed, all right, Lord, I blew it. I missed it. I'm in the belly of the fish. I understand that. There's weeds wrapped around my head. I've gone down to the deep of the sea, and you are bringing me back. And I repent. 
What does it mean to repent? Repentance or repenting is not just being sorry that you got caught. We all have seen that. We've all been a part of that, whether it's our kids. If we have kids and you walk in the room and they're doing something that you and I don't want them to do, you and I told them not to do, and they're doing that, and they are caught. And they turn around and they see you and it's, oh, I'm sorry. Are they sorry? Are they just sorry that they got caught? The boss walks in at the job site, at the office, and you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, and you get caught. Are you sorry that you just got caught? Caught using the company's time for the 47,000th time on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, what have you, ESPN, or are you truly repented and said, you know, I know I shouldn't have done that. And my action is going to change. Jonah's action changed. He's not sorry that he got caught. He's not just sorry in the sense that I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know that I should not be wasting time. I know that I shouldn't be saying that. I know I shouldn't be looking at that. I know I shouldn't be going there and spending that. Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, comes to the place of repentance before the Father. And it's a kind of acknowledgement to him, to the Father, about the attitude, about the action, about the words that we're not to be about. Repentance is coming to him and saying, Okay, Lord, I understand all these things. I understand what I've been doing is is wrong. I understand what you want me to do, and and I'll go do it. And whether it was at the bottom of the sea in the belly of the fish, or as he is being cast out of the fish onto dry land, or after he got on dry land, Jonah came ultimately to that point, and God says, Okay, Jonah, a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against that city. Think about your week this past week. I don't know your week. Think about your your month. Let's just take all of March. If we can just... Take just a few moments and let's just scan through the calendar of the month. Let's scan through the days and let's think. All right? You've got March in front of you. Your March. Nobody else's March. It's yours. How many attitudes have you had that you shouldn't have had toward people that walked in front of your face and you said something and you know you shouldn't have said what you said, or you know you shouldn't have thought the way that you thought when you said the words with a smile. Just say it with a smile. I was in some uh, mission trip training yesterday, and and I was reminded that uh, when you get interrogated to get into a country or get stopped by some government officials as you're in this country, just have outwardly compliance outwardly you comply yes 
Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Outwardly. But day-to-day life, your march, my march, how much was outwardly compliant, but inwardly you were just standing, stomping, yelling on the inside. God says that not only outwardly, but inwardly, you and I need to be compliant, obedient to Him. Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2, there's really two types of sin that you and I, and we see examples of it throughout the book of Jonah, there's two types of sin. There is the sin of of omission. You and I sin this way when we omit to do something God says to do. And we'll talk about your sin in just a moment. I'm not going to talk about mine today. But, but we'll talk about yours in just a moment, or the opportunity of your sin. But you look at the sin of omission in Jonah chapter 1. God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah omitted those words, and he went a different direction. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship, down to the bottom of the ship, so that he could get to Tarshish. Total different place than Nineveh. He omitted everything that God said. And some of us here omit commands of God. And that's sin. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 4. And in chapter 4, there are some explicit sins of commission. There are things that he commits, that he does, that he says, that he's thinking that you and I might do, that you and I might say, that you and I might be thinking, and they are sins of commission. We are doing them, we are committing them, but God says, don't do it. Sins of omission, things that you and I omit that God says to do, and sins of commission, things that you and I do that God says don't do, yet we continue in them. Our little incidents, our mishaps, our mistakes... Whether by commission or omission, they are sin. And you and I must come to the point that we agree with God about it. For His mission to take place in our lives. You've got to say that it's sin. He says it's sin. You and I must come to the point when He says, Hey, someone has got to pay for that sin that you did March the 3rd. March the 13th, March the 23rd. Maybe y'all had one of those little discussions at your house before you left to come to church this morning. I try to steer clear of those because I leave at like 5.30. Paige and the kids are already asleep. It's quiet in the house. And if I don't make enough noise to wake them up, I can get out of there without one of those little discussions. Maybe you had one of those little discussions this morning. And as soon as you came on site, you got out of the car, and as soon as the car door slammed, that frown was turned upside down, and we've got the church face on. Whether it's that, whether it's it's hatred that is running rampant through you, whether it's, it's words or actions 
that you are committing or you are omitting, you and I must come to the point where God comes. And he says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for that sin, for that attitude, for that thought, for that word in your life. And either you or myself can stand in and pay for that. And that's what happens with every single person who does not accept Christ. They stand in payment of that sin, of those multiplied hundreds and hundreds, if not ten thousands of thousands of my sins, if I were to do that, or if you were to do that. And that person would pay for all eternity. Or that payment of sin would be laid on Christ. that He took to Calvary, that He was crucified for, that He died for, that He was buried for, that He rose again from. And that payment, once for all, could cover your sin and my sin and everyone's sin who would come to it. Sin ensnares you. Sin entraps you. Sin entangles you. Sin shackles you. And that's where you are without Christ this morning. That's where Jonah was before he repented. And that's where you are before you repent. But confessing and repenting brings about forgiveness. It brings about enlightenment. It brings about hope. It brings about pardon. It cleans. It washes. It brings life. It refreshes. It cuts the chains. If this occurs, and when it occurs, and I mean it truly does, in your life and in my life, we have come and we have repented before the Father. Why do we so often run back? Chapter 1, Jonah is sinning by omission. Chapter 4, we're going to see next week that he sins by commission. Why is he running back to that? Why is it that, that Tuesday was a good day for you, maybe? Monday just stunk it up. I mean, you were mad at the boss. You were mad at the world. You had a terrible attitude when you woke up. You had a terrible attitude when you went to bed. It was just bad. Tuesday was good. Wednesday was more like Monday than it was Tuesday. Friday. Why is that? Or maybe y'all just had great weeks and I'm the only one that needs to hear this. So y'all just listen to me. I'm, I'm talking to me. God says to you, Brian. He says to all of us. What Paul wrote to the folks at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I've already obtained this, not not that I've already become perfect and I'm mature and complete. It's not that. But I press on. And I make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have 
attained. Your week might have been just absolutely terrible. Your month of March might have been absolutely terrible. There's nothing you can do about it. Jonah couldn't go back to chapter 1 when God said, Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh and not have to spend three days and nights in the belly of the fish. Jonah could not go back and not be vomited out up on the dry land. You and I can't go back to Monday. We can't go back to six weeks ago. But you and I can make decisions right now to change how today is going to be. You and I can set forth the direction of our lives from this point forward. Here's how I'm going to walk and start walking there. And start making decisions for this moment. Second point is not only that God's mission begins for you and for me with repentance, but God's mission is one of action. I'm not going to read verses 1 through 10 for us again, but there are three main characters in that passage that are acting. God's acting. We've already spoken this morning and previously that he is the main character, the greatest character of all of Scripture. He's the greatest character in this book. And he is acting in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Jonah is acting, and we'll see that in just a moment. And those in Nineveh, great and small, royalty and servants, they are acting. God's mission for you, for you, is a mission of action. Look at these actions in Jonah chapter 3. There is action all over Jonah chapter 3. The first action comes from God. Think about this for a moment. The only reason that Jonah, the Ninevites, the king of Nineveh, you or me can act is because he acted first. God acted in Jonah chapter 1. He acts again first in Jonah chapter 3. And he says to Jonah, Jonah, go. Here's your word. Here's your, your order. Here's what your marching orders are to be, Jonah. You go. And then think about it in your life. As Paul wrote to the folks at Rome, he said this. God demonstrated his love toward you. He demonstrated his love toward you. And that while you were a sinner against him, while you, ma'am, sir, while you hated him, while you didn't even know him, he sent Christ to die for you. He gave his very best while you were opposed to him. God acts in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. He starts the chapter and he closes out the chapter with action. His closing action is because of how Jonah acted and because of how those in Nineveh acted, God relents and does not bring the judgment that he sent Jonah to proclaim about. We'll discuss that in just a moment. But second, we see action from Jonah. As I have read this passage and I have read the book of Jonah, I've come to the point that that I really believe that Jonah chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 is the greatest verse for Jonah. 
It's not the greatest verse or the greatest verses in the book for, for maybe you or me, but for Jonah, it's the greatest thing ever. Because at that moment, he is obeying. At that moment, he is doing everything that God has asked him to do. Have you ever found yourself there? I hope that you have. I hope that you, you have found yourself stating this, either silently or maybe even out loud. I am doing everything that God wants me, that I know of, that God wants me to do right now. I'm doing everything that he wants me to do, that I know of. That's what Jonah is doing, his action. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days in journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It was the greatest two verses for Jonah. He's doing everything that God wants him to do, and as we would see next week, or we'll see next week, it's exactly what he wants the outcome to be for Nineveh. He wants them overthrown. He wants them wiped away. He wants God's judgment to come down on them. And just to give you a little foreshadowing, if you don't already know it, God doesn't do it. Jonah acts. God's mission is a mission of action. Finally, we see in chapter 3, we see the folks at Nineveh acting. They hear these words. They're harsh words. Think about it. What what if somebody stood at the four-way stop and proclaimed to you, Hey, Hernando, they stood up at the square. They stood at the opening of your neighborhood. They stood at the opening of your house and said, Hey, just want to let you know your evil that you have been doing, it has made its way to the Father. And He has saying this to you. Forty days from now, it's over. No more Tillmans. 34 Tanner Cove is going to be a little hole where like asteroid comes in from heaven and just kaboom is gone. Hernando, gone. DeSoto County, gone. Think about that. How would you respond to that? Oh, we've got a missile defense guidance system. Uh, I think I might go to the woods that week. Not be at the house. The folks at Nineveh heard those words. And from those in the streets to those in the throne room, all at once, they all hit their knees. They all took off their outer robes. They all covered themselves in ashes and sackcloth. They all stated, here's the action. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to cry out and repent. And just hope, maybe, God will relent. In the action of the Ninevites, they not only heard this proclamation, but they received it. And they acted upon all of what he said. 
Those in Nineveh acted. They acted by crying out. They acted by fasting. They acted by repenting. What happened there was... We would like to use the term revival... But I'm going to make up a word. There had to be vival first. Okay? Nineveh was a pagan city. It was a pagan nation, and they had never been vived before. What we would say is that they came to God on His terms. And they allowed Him to breathe life into them. And because of that, they repented They confessed and they saw him for who he is and they cried out to him for salvation and he saved. And as an aspect of that, they fast. Fasting in Baptist circles is a word that we think we know about. It's a word that we speak of or hear of, but it's a word that we don't like. I just told you what confession was, and you don't confess before others, but let me confess to you. Last night I had the opportunity, a great opportunity, to go and sit in a restaurant that has a red card and a green card on it. And if you turn it over to green, it's on. They're going to bring every type of cut of meat that you could think of, and you're going to turn them away because you understand, I just want... That certain cut of meat. Nah, don't bring the sausage. That's good. Don't bring Don't bring the lamb chop. Nah, bring the steak. It's a Brazilian steakhouse. And I ate. And I ate. And I'll confess, I ate more. I ate so much last night that I put the dessert in a box and I brought it to the house. And as we're driving back to the house, it was asked of me, those who know me, it was asked of me, hey, you want to go to Krispy Kreme? (laughs) My car, my truck turns toward Krispy Kreme on its own. But I stated to the gentleman driving, I said, no, I could not eat a Krispy Kreme. Knowing that not 12 hours from that moment I would be standing up here saying something about fasting. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, one that you and I, if we're honest, we don't like. We don't like the word discipline, most of us. But it's a spiritual discipline. It's one that is commanded for you and for me, for all Christians to participate in. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18 state this, and when you do this, when you fast, not if if you fast, not if you want to fast, I think this is a good idea for you to fast, but when you do it, just like when you pray in the previous verses, but when you do it, don't look gloomy like all the hypocrites. Don't go around... 
Oh man, my stomach is paining today because I'm fasting. For they disfigure their faces, these hypocrites, that their fasting may be seen by others. Don't do that. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you do it, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Look like you do every other day. That your fasting may be seen by others. May not be seen by others, but by the Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. Greatest verse or verses on fasting, I believe, is that. The greatest passage that I have ever read from man on fasting was by a man by the name of John Piper in his book, A Hunger for God. He wrote this about fasting. Christian fasting, at its root, is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Half of Christian fasting is that our physical appetite is lost because our homesickness for God is so intense. Let me unpack that for you just a moment. The reason that you fast, one of the two reasons that you and I should fast as Christians is because we are so in tuned and focused on God that we want more of Him. And to get more of Him, we say, you know what? I will give up physical food, Texas Day Brazil, Krispy Kreme, or a ham sandwich at 34 Tanner Cove for you. That's half of Christian fasting. And that's half of the reason why Piper and also myself believe that you and I should fast. But the other half of why we should fast is the one that hurts. And the one that we don't see. He says this. The other half is that our homesickness for God is threatened. Because of our physical appetites are so intense. Therefore, you and I need to fast. Fasting is not the magic pill. But fasting promotes in you and in me an attitude of humbleness, an attitude of brokenness, an attitude of surrender, an attitude of dependence on the Father. And these at Nineveh and you and I should see that and desire and need that. Action is needed on your part today. God's mission is a mission of of action. It's, It's needed on your part. Maybe the action that is needed on your part today is this, that you need to confess. things that have been eating up the time in March for you has been such that it's like King Solomon would say, it's vanity of vanities chasing after the wind. Maybe the action that is needed on your part today is the aspect of prayer or the aspect of fasting, surrendering to the Father. That the things of this world have so entangled and ensnared you so much that you don't even know that it's locked in. And you just need to spend a meal, a day, a couple of days.
questions might rise. Does it have to be food? I don't believe that it has to be food. In his book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Godly Life, Donald Whitney wrote a number of different issues down that you and I could fast from. One that I have partaken of here of late is Netflix. It's in the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. But how easy is it to watch episode after episode after episode? No commercials. You can watch more TV in less time. It's a great thing. But I've just said, you know what? All the British dramas and action and thrillers, I just can't have them. I know I'm speaking about myself, so move on. Maybe your action needs to be that you need to set a time this week that you're just going to fast. Remember that it's fasting for a spiritual purpose. If you just don't eat, it's called a diet. It's for a spiritual purpose for your homesickness of the Father is waning or your homesickness is so great that you want even more. Finally this morning we see God's mission. I'm so thankful of this. God's mission welcomes others. God is not just the God of the Mississippians. God is the God of the nations. He's not just the God of the Jews. He's not just the God of Jonah, but He was also the God of the mariners. He's not just the God of Jonah, but He's also the God of the Ninevites. He's not just the God of the Jews, but He's also the God of the Gentiles, which you and I more than likely are that last group. God demonstrated His love toward us all. He loved the world. He forgives you and He forgives me of all our sin in the past, all our sin at the present moment, and all our sin out into the future. And it is a God of, He is a God of acceptance. And where you and I more than likely have to come to this point of tension and this point of acceptance of the Father is this. That even though He has saved you from your sins, He has paid for all of your sins, past, present, and even out into the future, that does not give you freedom, that does not give me freedom, that does not give us license to go and sin. Just because of the events at the end of chapter 3 and what will occur in chapter 4 are written down, they We're not giving the Ninevites license. They do not give you or me license to just keep going on the same track that we've been going. To have the same attitudes, the same words, the same actions, and disregard of what the Father wants. Scripture states it's your kindness, God. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to salvation. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, you are a God merciful and gracious. You are one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Nahum 1, 3 states the same thing. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means, 
He won't clear the guilty. Even though He is a God who welcomes people and He is a God who accepts people, you and I must come on His terms. And His terms are clear. His terms are clear for those at Nineveh. His terms are clear for you. His terms are clear for me. No one comes to the Father. No one. Except through Christ. The good thing is that Christ desires all to be saved. He desires all to come to repentance. He wants you to come to repentance right now. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, the verse will be there on the screen. Verse number 3, down through verse number 6, he says this. Think about this as I close. For the time that is past suffices. What's that mean? That means all that time, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it's a day, whether it's a week, whether it's a decade, whether it's longer than that, all that time in the past that you were walking in sin, that you were disregarding everything that God had for you, is, is all sufficed for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, Living with passions, living in drunkenness, living in orgies, living with drinking parties, living in lawless idolatry. All of that time has sufficed. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery. They malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The time that you have walked in sin, sir, is long enough. The time that you have walked in sin, ma'am, is long enough. Come to the Father. He loves you. And He desires that you and I, like Jonah, like those in Nineveh, would come to Him. I don't know the sin that's ensnaring you. I know the temptations that I face. I know the temptations that He faced for me. That He conquered. I know the sin that has gotten me in the past. This week. Last week. What more than likely will try to get me this coming week. He says to you and to me, it's enough. Brian, you're 40 years old. Ma'am, you're 37 years old. You're 57 years old. It's enough. Heavenly Father, I bow before you and God, I pray. I pray that this time of invitation, Lord, it would be us looking at the actions, at the words, at the attitudes, the thoughts that have ensnared us. Father, it would be a time where we act and come back to you. Sir, if you're here today and you have never bowed the knee and never confessed with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, would you come? 
this invitation is for you. Let me introduce you to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Ma'am, this invitation is for you. The altar is open for you right now just to come and bow the knee and come back to the Father like the prodigal son came back and he accepted the Son and he will accept you. But you've got to come. You've got to come on his terms. Father, would you work in our hearts and in our lives today? Father, there are some outward actions that need to take place, but even more than that, Father, there are hearts at this moment that are defiant against you. God, would you soften them? Father, would you tear down every wall, seen and unseen? We cry out to you. We need you. We've come to worship you, our King. Would you stand and would you sing with us a hymn of invitation, a song of invitation. It is for you and for me to act, not only in words, but also in action.